What is up, wrestling fans, and welcome to episode 10 of the Paul Heyman Smackdown podcast here on Smart Moment, where we go back in time to the year 2002 and review all the episodes of Smackdown that Paul Heyman was the head writer for. Joining me, Callum Wiggins, as always on this journey back in time, is Robert DeFelice. Callum, I am still reeling from the amazingness that was SummerSlam 2002, but Brock Lesnar is exclusive to SmackDown. What happens now? Well, that's what we're going to find out as we go through the actual episode itself. But before we do that, just want to have a quick reminder out there so that everyone to leave a like and comment below if you're watching this on YouTube, if you're watching through any of the other podcast platforms, then leave a little star rating or anything else that you can do to just let people know how you're enjoying this podcast, you're enjoying the Smart Cat Moment brand. Then head on over to YouTube if you want to leave a comment below and just join in the conversation. Let us know your thoughts about what you think about this episode. There is a playlist that's been created on the Smart Cat Moment channel. If you're just clicking on to episode 10 and this is where you've started your journey, if you want to go back to the very beginning, you can check out all of the episodes on that playlist. And if you haven't watched this episode of SmackDown yet, check the link in the description and you can watch it and let us know your thoughts once you've seen it. But yes, uh, the big, a big story is the fact that Brock Lesnar is now exclusive to SmackDown. He is the undisputed champion. And that means that there's some big changes coming for both SmackDown and Raw in the near future. And the undisputed championship is really the narrative that weaves together this entire episode of SmackDown. But we'll get through to the review just in a couple of minutes. But first of all, we do our usual admin stuff, which is talk about some major news or events that are going on right now in the wider world of wrestling. And this week, there isn't really much to talk about besides one thing that I found in my little trawl through the Observers, which is Goldberg competed in his first matches since WCW folded. Was that in Japan? Yes, it was for All Japan Pro Wrestling. So he had a couple of match, a couple of singles matches there. Uh, one against somebody who were, who's still working today in Satoshi Kojima. So yeah. still, still working his socks off in 2020, as he would have done, probably bumping around for Goldberg in 2002. Yeah, wide variety there between what he was doing then and what he's doing now. So what he was doing then was he was jobbing in four minutes and two seconds to Goldberg. Yeah. And then another wrestler, Tayo Kaya, uh, didn't even last that long. In three minutes, 56, uh, was defeated by Goldberg. But at least that shows what All Japan knew how to book him. You just put him in short matches and have him go over. That's the goal. Can you imagine the payoff for less than five minutes of work? I can't imagine it was that great. But then again, I assume that the their idea for Goldberg was keep him around for a while, building up some bigger matches where it would go a little longer. But you have to kind of establish the fact that, okay, if these guys know who Goldberg is, they know that he's a killer and he defeats people really quickly. But I don't imagine there was a great payoff for it, but and especially the fact that Goldberg will be wrestling for WWE within the year. Well, he's still getting paid by Turner at this point, right? I think at this point, yes, I believe that he is still being paid by them. I think his contract does expire in 2002, I believe. I, I kind of get confused about it because I don't know whether it expired in 2002 and he waited until 2003 or it expired in 2004 and he just bought himself out of it so he joined WWE a year earlier. I know it's definitely, it, didn't, definitely, it definitely didn't end in 2003, as it were. Like He would have been staying on contract for a bit longer than that, I believe. But yeah, it's, it's just an interesting side note. It's the fact that Goldberg is on the radar. He is back to working, at least on a limited schedule. And... We won't see him by the time that we've finished and wrapped up on this podcast, but actually he debuts the night after when we, when we finish. Intend to, yeah, we intend to finish this podcast. So 
and that's on the Raw side as well. And he we covers Raw. So who cares about Goldberg? He's covering Raw. Yeah. We do have to talk a little bit about Raw, but first of all, we talk about the ratings because, as usual, it's the ratings war going on. So this is for the eight, uh, the tw- or the twenty ninth of August edition of SmackDown. So they got a three point nine two ratings in the ratings, whereas the twenty sixth of August edition of Raw received a three point nine. So I've counted that as a tie because it's too really close to call. I think it's right that these episodes were tied. The feeling coming out of SummerSlam for both brands is very high. Triple H and Shawn Michaels deliver, so you want to check Raw. But you also, as soon as Raw runs through the um, runs through the Brock Lesnar stuff, you want to check out SmackDown. Yeah, so what the big story that was happening on this edition of Raw was due to the fact that if you listen to our SmackDown, oh, uh, SummerSlam 2002 review on the Patreon Darkcast, and thank you very much for everyone who is using their patronage and following us along there. There was a segment where Stephanie McMahon essentially laughs in Bischoff's face despite Chris Benoit having lost the Intercontinental Championship back to Raw. And that was due to the fact that she left the arena with Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman, having exclusively signed them to SmackDown, which meant that the Undisputed Championship, which was meant to be defended across both Raw and SmackDown, was now exclusive to SmackDown. Yeah. a world champion. It's it's really weird to me that they're like, oh, well, Intercontinental Championship, I know, I'll take the World Champion. Obviously, Stephanie got the better of that deal. But Yeah, absolutely. You know, this led to a, a much different brand split. And really, the one that we'll be covering for the majority of our journey is very different from the one that most people remember because there won't be mid-card champions or anything like that. There's really just all the focus on the top champion. Even though Brock Lesnar was now signed exclusively to SmackDown, there was a number one contenders match on Raw where Triple H defeated The Undertaker in, uh, to become the number one contender for the Undisputed Championship originally. And that situation will resolve itself on next week's show. Where I think we can spoil it because it is, it is, at the end of the day, 18 years ago. And it's where, very well known. Yeah, where Triple H is crowned the first world heavyweight champion in WWE. I always thought that that was fine to me. Like, he won the match. He deserved to be champion if Raw was going to have its own champion. I never understood that there was all this complaining about, well, they just gave it to him. Uh, He won the match. Yeah, I I don't really have too much of an issue on that side of things. It was more, it's more, and we'll probably talk about this more a little bit next week, but it's the issue with having the two world champions where where you kind of feel like does having two world champions diminish both of them rather than elevate each brand. But we can obviously get into a bit more of a discussion about that next week when it actually happens. As opposed to the rest of the stuff that happens on Raw, well, now we have another championship has gone by the wayside as RVD unified the Intercontinental and Hardcore Championships by defeating Tommy Dreamer. I remember the match being really good. Now, I haven't watched it in 18 years, but at the time I remember that being one of my favourite Hardcore Championship matches ever. Yep, so now the Hardcore Championship is defunct, and sooner or later the Intercontinental title will go with it, but it still has a couple more months to stick around at this point. Uh, the Un-Americans did a segment threatening to burn Old Glory, which which Christian and Test in particular, as well as Lance Storm, weren't exactly super comfortable with doing, because the burning of the American flag 
I mean, we've, we've seen um, issues where other countries, we talk about the Jericho incident where he rubbed his armpits with the Brazilian flag. Yeah. And, 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 yeah, and the controversy that caused. <laughs> They're going to arrest him in the match. The, it's weird to me that they felt comfortable enough using this kind of iconography in 2002 when obviously we're talking, you know, 9-11 just happened. Of course, now it's completely, uh, it is what it is. It's a different world. But back then it was a really big no-no. Uh, this segment led to the return of Kane to Monday Night Raw. So if anybody knows about fire, it's him. So it's kind of an interesting thing where Kane, in this incident, he returns to stop something being caught on fire. Rather than yeah. being the one to set something on fire. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, going back in time now, because we won't be able to talk about him. Uh, this was definitely my least favorite version of Kane. The brief, uh, almost eight months to a year that he spent with this mask. And the baby face when he had, I thought it was he was too human. In terms of other stuff that happened, Howard Finkel lost to Lillian Garcia in a tuxedo slash evening gown match. Yeah, he did. To wrap up that feud. Yeah. Both three minute warning and Chris Jericho beat up Jimmy Snooker, who was a guest on the show. Uh, they, love, look- they fucking love beating up Jimmy Snooker. And I think, yeah, nowadays probably, yeah, he, got, he had it coming. Yeah, would have looked on a little <laughs> bit differently. And that wasn't only that wasn't three minute mornings only action where they also attacked the big show uh, as well under Bischoff's orders. So they're starting their transition for big show to move over to SmackDown eventually. Ah, cool. I don't actually remember why he wound up on SmackDown. So that'll be fun to see. Yeah, we'll end up discussing it when he goes through like his revelation as to like he. I think he has a big promo segment where he basically describes the reason for it. But in terms of like kind of long story short, it's mainly due to the fact that he just felt disrespected on Raw and SmackDown offered him a better opportunity. But that's um, that's what Raw was up to. So we move on to the meat of this entire recording, which is the SmackDown review itself. So August 29th, 2002, uh, the Mohegan Sun Arena in, U- is it Uncasville? 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 I would, I would say... I would say Uncasville, but you know, I don't, I don't really know. Yeah, Uncasville, Connecticut. So it's in Connecticut. So we're we're back in the Northeast. Uh, video package of Brock Lesnar celebrating from SummerSlam. He is the new undisputed champion. Show starts with Stephanie McMahon coming out saying Lesnar is now excluded to SmackDown, as we discussed earlier. Uh, says Triple H is not the number one contender, and they will find a SmackDown superstar who will challenge Lesnar tonight in a single elimination series of matches. Fancy so. way to say tournament. Well, it's not a tournament, really, is it? Because well, it's basically winner stays on. Yeah. But I thought, especially looking back at how you don't see stuff like this now, I thought this was really good. See, I thought this was some, this was an overcomplication of what could have been a single night tournament of, like, I don't know, six or eight people. Whereas, or you could have like even spread it out over two weeks if you wanted to. But I just felt like this gauntlet style version of it was just like them trying something new for the sake of trying something new rather than like thinking oh this is actually like a better way of doing this WWE would never try something new just to try something new oh yeah absolutely it also it's incredibly unfair on the first two people competing because they have to 
survive essentially what would end up being four or five matches to get to the main event. So you knew pretty much going into it that the first two people had no chance of doing it, and yet they were still competing in this for some reason. Yeah. But it does lead to a very good first match, which is Edge and Eddie Guerrero, the first match in this series. So and the fourth, the, the second of four that they would have on TV in singles competition? Yeah, so this is their rematch from SummerSlam. Obviously, if you checked our review, you knew that Edge was victorious in that match. This match, I think, it's shorter than the match at SummerSlam, but I think it's still, it's very well put together. I would agree. Yeah, so I mean, obviously, you put these two together, it's going to be a good match, pretty much regardless. But there are a lot of decent spots in this one. Eddie goes off the shoulder again of uh, Edge, as was as was the case at SummerSlam. Just completely goes on it again. There's a superplex at one point by Eddie, and he just bounces right off the mat in the same way that Edge does as well. That was a great spot. A powerbomb by Edge, which just creamed Guerrero completely, and then that leads to his comeback. Yeah, this one, it has obviously has a lot of elements from it, but it's more c- compact and concise. I, I really, really like this match, but like I said many times on this podcast, I really enjoyed the Eddie Guerrero of this era. Yeah, absolutely. So the difference with this one is that Eddie will eventually win, but he'll do it through dastardly means. So he grabs two chairs. He leans one against the apron, and the other one he slides in towards Edge. Edge grabs it and goes to nail Eddie with the uh, chair until the referee stops him. While the referee is busy, busy disposing of the other chair, Eddie grabs the other one, blocks a spear attempt by Edge with the chair. So shoulder first goes Edge into the chair. Eddie climbs up, hits the frog splash, and gets the victory. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe this was the first time on this series where we've seen Eddie hit the frog splash and win a match. Yes. Yeah, so every other time he seems to have either missed the frog splash or it doesn't lead to the finish. Well, this is the start of like, okay, now we've got definitive SmackDown brand, definitive SmackDown champion, so now you can start to push guys like Eddie Guerrero. Yep, so this leaves room for a rematch down the line because Eddie cheated to win, and Eddie advances in the tournament where he will take on next next in line will be Rikishi for him, but we'll uh, as we find out in the next backstage segment where Matt Hardy is actually approaching Stephanie backstage. Asking, oh yeah, Matt Hardy was not happy about this. Yeah, he was. so he was basically asking when he's going to be up next in the tournament. Stephanie doesn't give him any sort of committal answers, just basically says that the next one up for Eddie Guerrero is Rikishi. Matt says, oh yeah, sure, I'm going to get the winner, right? And Stephanie doesn't, just says, yeah, sure, uh, we'll talk about this later, I'm kind of busy right now, and then just... Matt is left kind of excited and pumped because he thinks that he's going to be in this and he's going to be the new number one contender. But Stephanie clearly doesn't see any plan for him being in this tournament. Poor version one, you know. He's he's there, he's ready, he's over as fuck in North Carolina, and Stephanie's just not not feeling it. So what about how about a match now where you can clearly say this is 2002 right here? Because this is a result which would never happen under any other circumstances, basically every year beyond this point. <laughs> it was John Cena versus Reverend Devon. Uh, clearly, yeah. Um, uh, John Cena wins in about 30 seconds. Yeah, that, yeah I'm sure that is in any other, In any other time. Like... Anyone that doesn't know 2002 would, uh, would instantly say that response, but... This is a very different time frame, and it's quite obvious at this point, especially considering how this match goes, 
that the John Cena mega mega push out of the gates has completely stalled. Yeah, it's uh, dead in its tracks. Cena is really, he's about one of those uh, evolved guys. Like He's like a Leon Ruff at this point. Nobody knows who he is, and he's just very basic. So I think the big note from this one is the fact that Cena had a buzz cut. So he Uh, had that really stupid haircut coming into WWE where it was just all messy. And now he basically looks like John Cena in this one. Yeah. His, even his tights weren't that garish. He would have that hairstyle, and basically, facially, he'd had that look for the next 15 years. There was a really faint Devon Dudley chant in this match, which I thought was just interesting because clearly the crowd is not invested in Cena at all. The big push for him off the gate hasn't worked. He isn't getting a decent reaction, and the crowd is actually getting behind Devon as opposed to this rookie. Well, Dudleyville isn't too far from Uncas, so you know what I mean? Like, I, guess, I guess so. I guess they were chanting Devon Dudley as well. It's like, we don't want you to be a reverend anymore. We just want you back being with the Dudley boys. I was actually looking at the reverend gimmick here as I'm watching him beat John Cena and thinking, would the reverend gimmick at least have gotten a rivalry against uh, Dead Man Undertaker in some form or fashion? Like, what could you have done with the reverend differently? I, I I don't know what you could really do with that. Because essentially all you can really do is... I mean, how, how do you feud with him, really, without being anti-God, essentially? Yeah, that's a good point. But then they weren't like shy about that stuff. Yeah, it's his, I mean, he's been a reverend, but he's a heel. So he's like this big... I, I guess it's the idea that people were more, quote-unquote, godless at this point in time than they had been previously, so they didn't want a reverend telling them how they should behave and, like, the stuff that he would say about masturbation in the past and things like that. It's just, uh, people didn't want to hear it anymore. Funaki's not a fan, I'm sure. Absolutely. Um, at one point, Devil misses a head flying headbutt, but Cena attempts a roll-up, but it's really an ugly one. He's still very green at this point. Devil gets out of the corner with an inverted atomic drop. Uh, kicks Cena and now then nails the saving grace and pins John Cena flat in the middle of the ring, completely clean. Um, which is always going to be funny, but I do want to say that John Cena not only attempted an awful, awful Oklahoma roll, but the Fisherman Buster, which would be like a staple of John Cena's offense in years to come, he just it was awful. <laughs> Yeah, I mean he's very um he's very very green at this point. He's I think he did, so green. He he does a fisherman dust buster towards like throughout a lot of his main roster run, but in this one it was more of a fisherman's neck breaker, which was just like a spin. And I think it's I think Nikki Cross kind of does that finisher now, although a better version of it. It's so so funny to see. Yeah, so Devon Dudley pinned John Cena in this match. Then we don't really see too much else for it because Batista. Comes in the ring, clotheslines Devon, then nails his, what they describe as his first Batista bomb. So, And at this point, I don't think he gets the, the Batista bomb name until, well, like, into evolution. Yeah, but at this point, it's clear that Batista's tra- trajectory is much higher than John Cena's now. Like they, they've seen, this is the guy that we're pushing from the new blood that's come in. He's going to be the one that we go forward with, whereas Cena's just going to be a guy for a while now. That's why I think John Cena nowadays is so comfortable saying, hey, grab that brass ring, because he knows that he was a guy who 
should have been dead in the water and managed to pull himself out of it. So there's another hype package saying Mysterio, Rey Mysterio is up next. And then we have that match, which is Rey Mysterio versus Rico. Good match for Rico. This match fucking ruled. I absolutely adored this match. It was so... Rico is a great wrestler. And I don't want to, I don't want the fact that his gimmick obviously hinders how seriously you can take him, but it, it shouldn't go against the fact that in OVW, he was considered the most polished wrestler in that promotion. And in this match, you get to see him actually work with someone who's really good. And they put together like this excellent match. Like, there were so many good spots in this one. My favorite one being, um, he does a pop-up power slam. Rico does a pop-up power slam, and it's beautiful. And, yeah, I would have loved to have seen Rico work more. Yeah, so all the stuff that he does this match, he hits an Emerald Flosion at one point in this match, which is just, I mean, it, it was less dangerous than a, a regular Emerald Flosion, but it was still very good. He does triple suplexes, the final being a delayed Falcon Arrow onto Mysterio. Obviously, working with Rey Mysterio gives you a chance to show off your power a lot more than you previously would do. It's a lot easier to throw around an 170-pound guy. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen Rico get more of a chance after watching the match. So Rico misses a moonsault. There's a wheelbarrow bulldog by Mysterio. And then he springs from one rope to another for his own moonsault onto Rico, which is, again, looks like the super cool 2002 Rey Mysterio Cruiserweight star. Ray is so good here. Yeah. Uh, he dodges a roundhouse kick. Now the 619. Rico sells the hell out of the West Coast pop, and uh, Ray gets the victory with the uh, Hurricane Rana. So, yeah, I thought this match was... Like, if you haven't seen it, I would highly advise you going back and watching this one because just to see how good Rico could be in the right circumstances with the right opponent. I mean, this is... I Obviously, I haven't really gone through the litany of Rico's career to see a load of great matches, but this is definitely the best match I've ever recall seeing Rico have. I would agree. Now, I might be blanking because I haven't seen Ray in a while, at least wrestle like that. But does he have a, a chess piece tattoo or am I just nowadays or am I just implementing that in, his, in my head? Because here it seems like he's got very, uh, very generic 2002 tattoos where he's got like the the Japanese lettering and the sun. It It all looked very early 2000s. So I was wondering if he uh, had gotten anything done over time. I imagine that since 2002 to now, he's gotten a lot more tattoos or he's changed up some of his tattoos. He seems like a guy that does add stuff to it and mix stuff, mix stuff around a little bit more than pre- he previously would have done. Obviously, now he's got more body mass than he had back then. Yeah. So I guess he has filled it up with more tattoos. But he, he basically, he's, he must have at least 20 or 30, I'd imagine. I think so. So we move on to a backstage segment where Hogger Holly is now urging Stephanie to put him in the qualifying series. Bruce Pritchard wrote this shit, right? Like, yes. Yeah. Why don't you put me in the qualifying series? I beat everyone. Saying, I, I take the belt. <laughs> I can beat everybody and give him the belt. And then he calls Eddie Guerrero Mr. Marco right now, which yeah. is something. Yeah. I <sighs> don't know it would fly nowadays, but... <laughs> Stephanie basically, um, Stephanie gets called away by Dawn Marie saying she has that important phone call waiting. So she leaves Hulk or Holly hanging. As the door closes, Holly gets in Dawn's face saying that no phone call is more important than he is. And then he just walks away. So, and that's the last we'll see of him on this show. (laughs) This is vintage 
Bob Holly. So there is a segment for the SmackDown Your Vote campaign, which was a, a long-running initiative by WWE to encourage people aged 18 to 30 to register to vote. Obviously, that wouldn't work nowadays because no one aged 18 to 30 actually watches WWE anymore. So, But they should still register to vote. They should still register to vote. And if you are listening to that and you are of that age range, definitely register to vote and don't vote Trump. But uh, I can say that because I'm British, so I don't want to have any sort of like... I, I know yeah. where my side stands on that regard. But um, it was basically supposed to be a non-partisan initiative, although many credit this effort by WWE in 2000 for really pushing over the edge the George Bush over Al Gore. Because that was a very, very close vote, if I recall correctly. Oh, yeah, it was very close. I went to sleep that night, now Gore was president. I woke up in George Bush list. Yeah, apparently there's a big talk about the fact that obviously Raw was very, very popular at that point in time. And I think it was either the night before the election or a couple nights before the election, there was an episode of Raw where JR, not JR, the King says on commentary that he could never vote for Al Gore. And that was the one time during the entire thing, because they stayed pretty partisan up to that point. But that one inference, maybe they feel like swung a lot of people's votes or enough people's votes to maybe essentially double. There's always been this on running a rumor that WWE got George Bush elected. Ah. I, th- I think it was funny to see a former, not former, I'm sorry, future President Dwayne Johnson just, you know, supporting people, smacking down their vote. That campaign's going to come back when John decides to run. Yeah, it's, um, I, I don't remember when that uh, campaign ended. It was actually quite, like, in the 2010s, I believe it stopped. I think it stopped right as Lindo was starting to run for Senate. Right. I guess uh, couldn't really be partisan in that regard. Yeah, that conflict of interest. So Stephanie's on the phone to the person, says uh, basically that what happened to them on Raw would never happen to them on SmackDown. She says that Dawn can deliver the papers to their hotel right now, but before they can continue talking, Matt Hardy bursts in. Matt Hardy hangs up the phone that Stephanie is on, <laughs> and Stephanie goes crazy at him because she's talking to seemingly an important person that she wants to sign over from Raw. Uh, but Matt says that he's the important one. He's the focus right now. And so he wants, and so Stephanie gives him, as a punishment, a one-on-one non-title match against Brock Lesnar. And Matt is thrilled about this because he thinks that if he beats Brock Lesnar, then he'll be next in line for a title shot. That's perfectly, that's logical, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know. It's just the fact that Stephanie is clearly punishing him and wants to see him get destroyed by Brock Lesnar because of what he's been doing. And Matt is super excited because, in his own mind, he thinks that he can beat Brock Lesnar because he's, in his own mind, he's the greatest superstar in the company right now. Version one. Absolutely. Mark Lloyd interviews Rikishi. Fucking uh, Mark Lloyd. <laughs> I see Mark Lloyd, he's just like a void of charisma. Absolutely. Like, he puts on this really weird accent when he's talking to Rikishi. It's like he's just over... Maybe he just realises he's got no charisma and personality and he tries to just over state everything that's going on i can't really put it into words what the way that he was saying it but it's very obvious that he's been trying to stand out more and it's not working or at least not in a positive way he's Rikishi, yeah, like he's like hey i'm a, i'm an I'm announcer guy and this is how excited announcers talk it didn't work uh, rikishi says that he has unfinished business with brock lesnar eddie interrupts saying rikishi's a funny guy but his diaper must be on a little too tight <laughs> Tells Rikishi to pull his head out of his ass and not disrespect Eddie Guerrero. Uh, Rikishi asks him, how did you say back that ass up in Spanish? And then he just leaves. So building up for that match, giving it a little bit more heat before 
the match kicks off, and it is Eddie Guerrero versus Rikishi. So I, I always appreciate, you know, logical build, especially for a one-night series of matches. Yeah, this match was pretty good as well. I mean, it was it was shorter, and Rikishi is more limited in the ring than Edge at this point. But it was still some pretty good stu- stuff. Eddie finds himself early on in a stink face position, but he pulls himself away through Rikishi's legs so he can get back on offense. Uh, he has a relentless assault on the leg of Rikishi, wearing him down. He goes for a sunset flip, but Rikishi sits down fast and misses Eddie's face, because Eddie was supposed to dodge it, but he misses his face by like a hair. It was so close to just sitting on Eddie's face. Yeah, that would not have been good. You can see Eddie's face, he just looks like, okay, I just dodged a bullet there pretty uh, pretty badly right right there. So I don't know whether he's selling it or he just realised, wow, this dude almost sat on my face. <laughs> What are they, I think they get a kick out of the big fat guy sitting on people's faces. Uh, so Rikishi is limping, he's selling the injury for a while, but then he manages to get a Savat kick. Now Eddie Guerrero pin him and Rikishi eliminates Guerrero and advances on to the next match. Uh, but we find out who that post-match, will, post-match who that will be against because Chris Benoit's on the attack. He suplexes Rikishi, st- uh, both him and Eddie stomp him down. Rikishi delivers a frog splash to the back of Rikishi. Benoit locks in a crossface. Edge eventually comes out to make the save, but the damage has already been done to Rikishi. So yeah. we, still have, we still have the partnership of Benoit and Guerrero. They're still dealing with Rikishi right now. So, And obviously what we'll find out is that we talk, uh, because backstage definitely confronts Benoit, saying he clearly wants to take out his aggression after losing the Intercontinental title. So he's entered in the tournament and go one on one with Rikishi. So could have done without Benoit doing what he did at the end of that promo. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's very, very intense right now. Let's put it that way. Yeah, but so is Eddie. Like their whole thing is we're just two intense pit bulls. Mm. Uh, we move on to a cruiserweight match uh, to Jiri against Shannon Moore. So Shannon Moore, Moore last week managed to get a fluke pin. I'd say fluke pin, but he managed to pin the Cruiserweight champion. Yeah, geez, you're just shitting on, shitting on Shannon Moore there, pal. I, I mean, I can't help it. It's Shannon Moore. Did you well, hear uh, that theme music? What is that? Well, it's just, well, it's just <laughs> generic, nothing happening. I mean, Cena's music is stupid generic at this point as well. Yeah, but this is clearly like, oh, you were in three count, right? We're going to give you some boy band music. So, have this great match. He has a pretty great match with Tajiri because Tajiri is awesome and Tajiri can carry anyone. I know that more needs to be carried, but Tajiri can just have a great match with pretty much anybody at this point. I didn't think more strikes were pretty good. They Like, his actual, like, just when he's either forearming or trying to punch someone, it looked pretty weak. So, it was probably for, the, for his benefit that most of his stuff was just flying through the air. Kind yeah, of. I liked it. I mean... Shannon, I think, is a little underrated or under-discussed nowadays. And I just, I like that. Or does a ugly-looking Hurricane Rana off the top rope. Uh, ref counts the pin, even though Tajiri's feet are completely trapped under the ropes after it. So it, it wasn't super fluid, this match. Moore turns the handspring elbow into a back suplex, but Tajiri lands comfortably. And now a bridging German suplex, because... Tajiri's awesome, and I'm going to keep saying, singing his phrases basically throughout this entire thing because I just think Tajiri's one of the best they have at this point in terms of just bell to bell. Uh, at one point, Noble trips more and then gets a flying clothesline by the Hurricane on the outside for his trouble. Tajiri drop kicks Hurricane, misses the uh, buzzsaw kick to Moore. Moore rolls him up and gets the victory. So Moore has now has a win over 
Noble's partner to Jiri, and that seems to be they seem to be going with the progression. The fact that he will eventually get a shot at the cruiserweight championship. I think to Jerry might be Nidia's partner, but yeah, he uh, more did get a victory over him. I mean, commentary did bring up the fact that they credit uh, to Jerry's newfound aggression to the fact that Nidia likes aggressive men. So um, maybe it's just the idea that Tajiri's trying to impress her. Is it 2003 or 2004 when Tajiri spits the black mist in Nidia's face? It's uh, late 2003. So we won't get to it. Damn, I was hoping it would be like early 2003 so we could talk about it. That was a fun angle. I mean, we will see Tajiri and Noble feud for the Cruiserweight Championship because Tajiri does turn face and towards the back end of 2002. So we also get to see them fight for the Cruiserweight Championship. I believe is very motivated by women. Who wouldn't? Who, who wouldn't? Be? I, I mean, clearly, <laughs> like clearly, like the, the Jerry's thing for a while was like, yeah, he's he, he gets very motivated around the divas. Well, if you're if you're being complete like paired up all the time with like Nidia or Tori Wilson, then you can't really blame them at that point. <laughs> God bless them, you know. So we move on to the next match in the qualifying series: Christopher Moore against Rikishi. Uh, this is very short. Hold on, this is brought to you by Tobacco is Wacko, and I just, I've forgotten that this existed, but Tobacco is Wacko was a thing. Incredible. I I don't want to tell people not to do, like, not to do things, but don't smoke, kids. Yeah, don't don't smoke. Yeah, not not, uh, cigarettes, anyway. That's bad. Uh, Yeah, yeah, apparently we've, uh, cigarettes are bad, vaping is... The cool thing, but don't do that either. But the ads here were very 2002, and I just loved it because it was um, tobacco is wacko, lugs, the boots with attitude, and then some babe of the year thing. I just that shit tickles me because these things were always on WWF TV. So Benoit's basically in control for the majority of this match because it doesn't go very long. At one point, Rikishi hits a Samoan drop but can't make the cover because it's hurting too much. Uh, Benoit applies a really deep, fierce crossface, stretching like basically every sinew to try and get Rikishi to tap out. Rikishi reaches the ropes, but Benoit just drags Rikishi back into the center and then applies the crossface again, and this time Rikishi is just forced to tap out. Logical, so very... but oh, yeah, logical. Yeah, logical, very one-sided. It's not a great... Well, I don't say it's not a great match, but it did what it, accompli- it needed to accomplish. So Benoit advances forward, and we find out who his opponent is going to be uh, backstage with Mark Lloyd interviewing Kurt Angle. And Kurt Angle, first of all, apologizes to uh, Snow White and the other dwarfs for beating Rey Mysterio at SummerSlam. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow, okay. Uh, Mark Lloyd brings out the fact Mysterio came close on several occasions, but he just tells Mark Lloyd to shut up. Yeah. Which, is, <laughs> which I'm pretty sure most people would be saying at this point in time to the TV. Um, no. I, Go ahead. I, I just, no, go ahead. Just Mark Lloyd is just a dweeb. Uh, Angle says that he heard from Stephanie that he'll be the last man to face Benoit in the series. So uh, brings up he brings up like things from the past. So he brings up how Benoit once held Angle's uh, medals next to his genitalia. That's right. And you can hear all about that in our 2001 Wrestling Odyssey podcast, also on the uh, Smackdown Moment YouTube channel. Absolutely. And he says that Lesnar might be the youngest champion in history, but he's not the best. And Kurt Angle's going to prove it by winning the tournament and getting... A shot at Brock Lesnar. We'll now, if I'm it. Stephanie, I do put Angle, I give him a bye to the finals, essentially, for his great win over Ray at SummerSlam. But yeah. as we would find out, even though these two can have a great match for any reason whatsoever, we wouldn't get this match. 
No, we'll talk about that in the main event. But first of all, we have Funaki, SmackDown's number one announcer, is outside Lesnar's locker room. Uh, this is great, this segment. So Paul Heyman comes out and Funaki grabs him, uh, asking for an interview. And so Heyman says, does he want to interrupt Brock Lesnar while he's training for a match? While he's focused and he's driven for what's going to come up? Do you really want to go in there and interrupt? So he says, yeah, that's a great idea. And then he starts pulling Funaki towards the door to try and interview Lesnar, basically in the hope that Lesnar will be pissed off and he gets beaten up. Uh, Funaki just cows, oh, I'll wait until later. And he starts like trying to leave, but Heyman's grabbing him. And then Matt Hardy shows up, saying that now it's the era of Matt Hardy, saying it's gone from WWE attitude to WWE mattitude. Fantastic. Uh, Heyman says that Matt Hardy clearly has a death wish, and then goes to tell Brock Lesnar about what Matt Hardy just said, because Heyman is a weasel. That all he wants to do is just uh, get get Brock to beat people up that he doesn't like. Yeah, I mean, but if you have a wrecking machine like Brock Lesnar, you would probably use it for your own personal game, too. We get Brock Lesnar versus Matt Hardy. Uh, Brock has some new lighting effects as he comes down to the ring with uh, the title. He's got the like red lighting coming in and stuff like that. Uh, he looks really great with that championship. He really does. That title, underrated design. No, it's one of the, it's one of the best world championship designs they ever had. Absolutely. Uh, so this is a, a pretty rare match between uh, Brock Lesnar and Matt Hardy. I don't know how many other times they would fight one-on-one. This might be a one-and-done, actually, for it. I'm almost certain they would never have another match. So Lesnar locks Hardy off the turnbuckle as he's posing because, of course, Matt Hardy's just posing and spending all his time uh, playing to the crowd. Uh, there's audible Let's Go Lesnar chants, so Lesnar's already starting to get over as a babyface after the uh, events of SummerSlam. Uh, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, we obviously know, or at least, you know, we do because we lived it, but Brock Lesnar will be a babyface by the end of this year. And I think it just shows people love a good badass. Yeah, absolutely. If you just, ha- if you just, it's just, I know it's like you don't want everyone to be booked this way, but it's like, it's like if someone that's the size of Rey Mysterio, you want him to build his rep off the fact just having a load of great matches. But if it's someone who has the presence and size and record as Lesnar, then you just say, okay, this guy is just going to come in, kill everyone for a few months, and then he's over. And that's all you need to do with the right guy. They did that beautifully in 2002. Yep, Lesnar is already getting super over. He's the world champion, and he fits that role already so early in his WWE run. So Lesnar is basically in control for this entire thing. Uh, hits an STO at one point, belly to belly throws, power slams. Hardy at one point manages to escape, pushes Lesnar into the ring post. He gets a little bit of offense in, he tries to twist the fight, but Lesnar immediately reverses that into a great looking F5. Matt Hardy sells it perfectly. And yeah, just a pretty quick squash match. Lesnar destroys Matt Hardy. And post match, he delivers a. Um, uh, Hardy's basically hanging on the ropes, just like bewildered after the beating he just took. And Lesnar just charges the ring, hits a forearm, sends uh, Hardy back into the ring, delivers two consecutive power bombs, and leaves Hardy lane. Yeah, so you know, pretty straightforward. Pretty straightforward. Um, Matt Hardy would—I I don't know if I'd call it Stockholm, but I do know he's very quickly going to try to get in the good graces of Brock Lesnar moving forward. Well, I'm pretty sure after a beating like this, you would too as well. 
Yeah. Yep, yep, that's once once enough for me. I'm uh, never taking that again. So we yeah. see Dorm- we see Dormery arrive in Stephanie McMahon's office with signed contracts, and so Stephanie reveals that tonight's main event is now a triple threat of Angle, Benoit, and whoever this mystery person they signed with. And she tells Dawn to make sure that Bischoff is watching to see a Raw superstar join. And as it were, we see Angle and Benoit in the ring. Stephanie comes out and announces that SmackDown's latest signing is The Undertaker. And that would be a legendary signing for SmackDown because Undertaker is embedded into the DNA of this brand for the next seven to eight years. Yeah, so this is the last time Undertaker ever switches brands. Obviously, going forward, when he becomes a part-time just legend appearance guy, then he does just deviate from Raw and SmackDown in appearances. But essentially, he is a SmackDown superstar from here until the end of his full-time career. And so, yeah, this is, this I think is, it's um, it's Taker on SmackDown, Triple H on Raw, and they never deviate. Well, Triple H joined SmackDown for a while. Oh, about no. 2008, about 2008. Not, not Hunter, Sean, sorry. Yeah, Sean. Sure, yeah, Sean. There's an asterisk there. There's... Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to edit that out because it's fine when you get things wrong. It's, no. <laughs> it, 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 listen, you get too much stuff right in the like play the game stuff that I need to... You, you I'm need to be down a little human. bit. Yeah. yeah, you're allowed to be human every now and again. Uh, but this match has basically becomes a handicap match pretty quickly with uh, Angle and Benoit just teaming up on Taker to start with. Take former tag team. Yeah, I know. I uh, wonder if they'll, we'll see that in the next uh, couple of months or not. Huh. But this match is... It's a really good triple threat. I think that it works out pretty well because whenever Benoit and Angle are doing stuff, it's great. Uh, Taker looks pretty motivated in this match because I'm pretty sure he knows... Well, obviously, he knows what the outcome is going to be, so I think he's got his working boots on. And, yeah, it's just a lot of, a lot of great action between all three guys. Uh, Taker goes for a last run on Benoit, but he's chopped down by Angle. Uh, Angle grabs a steel chair, uh, but Benoit decides to but he decides to distract the referee, and that allows Benoit to hit Taker in the head with a chair, even though it's a triple threat match. And I don't see why you'd need to have the distraction, but I guess they sometimes just fall into these patterns. Yeah, sometimes it's just better to have that extra heel advantage. Uh, there's an awesome-looking snap belly-to-belly by Angle onto Benoit. Uh, German suplex to Taker, but he blocks another and then hits a choke slam. Uh, Angle p- pulls uh, Taker off the cover with an ankle lock when An- Taker has a pin on Benoit, but Taker throws him off, clotheslines him out of the ring. Uh, Benoit then applies a cross face. Uh, Taker manages to get to the ropes to avoid it. Uh, Angle then applies the ankle. Oh, actually, he doesn't actually get to the ropes because he's stuck in there. And then Angle gets in the ring and they do that spot where it's the ankle lock and the cross face. Which will become yeah. synonymous with in the next couple of uh, weeks and months, as it were. Yeah, and I think like that's always fun. I like when superstars can pull tandem submissions like that off. Uh, Undertaker here, really with the working boots. But I guess if you're in there with Benoit and Angle, and you're about to go into a program with an NCAA champion, you don't have much of a choice. No, it's. I think that they won't allow you to basically stall a match which they're involved in. So, I mean, and they've had good matches with Taker in the past, so I had no doubts that this match was going to be pretty good. Um, he kicks Angle away at one point from the uh, the ankle lock into an awful-looking uh, schoolboy attempt on Angle. So he he does uh, mess that up a little bit. So Taker, is, Taker at least 
I think at this point in time, is the worst wrestler out of the three in this match. Oh, that's totally fair. Uh, angle slam, Benoit then sends Taker out of the ring. Uh, Taker gets back up, lands the last ride to Benoit, becomes the number one contender. So, yeah, Taker's hits the last ride, number one contender. He's going to be facing Brock Lesnar at Unforgiven. Uh, yeah, it was a very good, high-octane main event, made the most of the time it was allotted. Taker's now firmly established as the next big guy on SmackDown, the next big babyface. And, yeah, we have a feud for the World Championship coming up. And I think over on the, uh, between the Raw and SmackDown side of things, you would see a deficit that you wouldn't normally see, definitely in today's world. Raw is, like, there when it comes to having actual superstars. They've got Triple H, and that's about it. And they're going to be struggling to make stars while SmackDown has... Benoit, Angle, Guerrero, Undertaker, Brock Lesnar, Edge, Mysterio. I mean, SmackDown is loaded. Yeah, and I think that this is one of my favorite shows on in terms of the journey so far we've had because it was a wrestling fan show. Absolutely. There was very little filler. Into, I mean, there was obviously some interview segments and some backstage stuff with Stephanie, but it was kept to a minimum. It was just almost just match after match after match. And I think that pretty much every match delivered. The only match that I thought wasn't very good was Devon against John Cena. But it was Devon against John Cena, so what would you expect? Uh, but the opener was great. Uh, Mysterio and Rico was a really great match. The main event was a lot of fun. And yeah, it was just, this is a match that you wanted to watch. If you want to just watch some really good wrestling for two hours, then this was a show for you. I loved it. And the main event was my favorite. I enjoyed Rico and Ray. But yeah, now we're firmly into the SmackDown is the opportunity show and we're off to the races. Also, it was interesting. There was no tag team match on the show either. Well, was... yeah, but uh, Teddy Long's at the jam. I, I know that, but we have seen quite a few uh, tag team matches in the previous time. Not that, Obviously, I'm a huge fan of tag team wrestling, but it's nice to switch up the format every now and again. Yeah, and you're a fan of tag team wrestling, not like, ah, here's... Uh, Two singles wrestlers against two other singles wrestlers. That that is true, but sometimes it works out when you have like The Rock and Edge against. I know Benoit and Guerrero are a tag team at this point, but they're, they're still kind of singles guys, so it, it can work out. But yeah, it, it was still it made sense with all the singles matches on this card. There was no reason to have a tag team match just thrown in there for no reason. So yeah, so that's the end of this edition. So another pretty decent, well, pretty awesome episode of SmackDown actually. So all we need to do now is just go through a few plugs and then bid you adieu. So what you can do now, if you haven't already, just leave a like and a comment on the video on YouTube, as I mentioned earlier. If you are really liking the stuff that we do, then why not hit up the Patreon? And you can give us a little donation in terms of anything. Anything is good. Anything from a dollar up is always very helpful and useful and helps keep the light on here and give Tony a little bit of uh, support if you want on, on his path to try and get a new uh, WordPress onto the website and just, yeah, just trying to fix things up on that regard, deliver more great stuff for everyone else listening, devote more time to smart out moment stuff. Obviously, if you hit up the dark cost tier, the $10 tier, then you can listen to our extra reviews we do of the SmackDown or the 2002 pay-per-views alongside the series. Uh, if you want to also just pick up some merchandise as well, you can go to Redbubble, TeePublic, pick up some smart out moment merchandise as well. And you can support us financially that way and get something immediately tangible in your hands as a return. 
there is obviously the check out the website check out all the great articles on there i obviously contribute the power rankings but there's other great weekly articles and just random bits and pieces that will pop up every now and again some excellent content on the website you can follow smart cat moment on facebook on twitter all the other great places that are available you can join the mega maniacs to just have a bit of like light-hearted conversation and share a few memes wrestling memes on our facebook group and that is also the place where you'll see weekly updates concerning the fantasy league which is just returned so if you want to just keep on make sure you'll keep up to date on what the scores are and what trades have been made then the mega maniacs is the place to do that and if you want to support tony's sister website the fanboys anonymous stuff as well there's a patreon for that there's t public and red bubble merchandise for that website or just checking out the content either on the youtube channel or on the website all of that goes a long way just helping tony out and getting the word out there uh, rob do you want to throw out your more stuff yeah, and I um, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at DudeFelice. Check out Fightful. Check out WrestleZone. That's where I work most of my days, hosting wrestling news in the modern world, not in the much better time that was 2002. And just keep supporting, clicking around, and we'll see you in the next one. Absolutely. You can follow me, of course, on Twitter at Wigmeister14. And we will look forward to seeing you again on episode 11 which I obviously realise I haven't given too much of a, a preview of that one, but episode 11 will see the, the the first seeds being sowed of The Undertaker and Brock Lesnar the feud. And we will also see a little bit of, well, a preview for what will end up being the big story of episode 12 involving one spillion Chuck. Yeah. Yeah, this is, this is going to be fun. So hopefully you join us for episode 11 and next week and we will see you soon but for now this has been another smart count moment and we are being counted out Bye.